Good morning. Good morning. Uh, we're going to continue our study in Daniel, and we're into chapter 2 now. Uh, it's been two weeks. I, I missed last week. And uh, so just uh, our four young men have arrived in uh, Babylon, not to their choosing. They, they, they're slaves now. They've, uh, they've left their home. They're more than likely from nobility, so they've lived a, lived a uh, probably a pretty comfortable life back in Babylon. Uh, teenagers, uh, I don't know if teenagers back then were the same as teenagers today, but I'm assuming they had the same uh, thoughts and dreams and aspirations. They had their whole life ahead of them. Uh, I remember when I was a teenager, the, the the saying is, the world was my oyster. I just There was no uh, end to what I thought I could accomplish. And uh, as you grow older, reality sets in. But for these young men, reality came in the form of a king named Nebuchadnezzar. And uh, it was a harsh awakening for them. Uh, let's see here. Before we get started into this, I'd like to ask you, just, you don't, don't answer these out loud or not, just something to think about. Uh, what areas of your life do you find the most difficult to control? I like to be in control. Yes. I don't like other people controlling my life. I've been, I'm probably more independent, I don't know, just because of the growing up I had on a farm and, and that type of life. And, uh, but then what would you, what would cause you the greatest unhappiness if you were to lose control of that? Uh, perhaps unhappiness isn't the best word, but I'm thinking of uh, Christopher Reeves. Do you remember him? Yes. Mm-hmm. Handsome, yes. wealthy, successful, and then one day he was on horseback, and what did he lose? His com- complete control of his body. Uh, I, I think he was a, what you would call a quadriplegic, wasn't he? Yes. Uh, so he even probably lost control of his bodily functions below the below the neck. So, so he lost control of a lot. Uh, just you know, keep keeping that in mind. What kind of things? And and we have uh, uh, military veterans go to war, strong, young. Uh, and I was bulletproof when Not I was very that smart age. Sometimes. I'm sorry. Not very smart. Not very smart. That's true. Like I said, I thought I was bulletproof when I was that age. And uh, these young men come back with lost limbs, lost eyesight, lost brain function, lost families. Uh, Daniel and his men, or his friends, lost, uh, lost everything they had and held dear to themselves. Uh, and they weren't alone. There was, uh, there was others that came with them. This is Psalm 137. It's just uh, the first four verses of Psalm 137. We'll look at that closer when we get to uh, Daniel chapter 9. But these were some of, the, uh, some of the exiles as well. No one knows who wrote it or exactly when. They believe it was written towards the end of the exile. But this is how they, they felt. They said, by the rivers of Babylon we sat and wept when we remember Zion. There on, there on the poplars we hung our hearts, for there our captors asked us for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, sing one of the songs of Zion, 
And he said, how can we sing the songs of the Lord when we're in a foreign land? So there's, there's others with Daniel. So when, we, when we're reading this, remember that, that there's, there's a lot of other exiles there. Daniel is a, a representative of them. Uh, and for some, for some reason, he has got resolve. He and his friends have strong resolve. They're not letting this, this uh, loss cripple them. In fact, they're surrendering, submitting it to God. Many of you will recognize this prayer. This is just the first verse of a prayer. It's, it's become known as the Alcoholics Anonymous prayer. Uh, it was written before AA ever was even a concept. They adopted it. But uh, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change and the courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. Uh, that's... That's an extremely important prayer for us, not just for alcoholics or drugs, you know, addicts, just for us. Accept the things I cannot change and and the courage to change the things I can. And then most importantly, the wisdom to know the difference. Yeah, you know, the things I cannot change. Sometimes I'm just beating my head against a rock trying to change things and God's standing back and just watching and saying, Okay, when his head gets soft, maybe he'll quit. But uh, Daniel, Daniel and his friends apparently have learned this bit of wisdom, and they they learned what to what they accept and how to deal with it. Remember, in the first chapter, we asked why did Daniel uh, draw the line at the food and not the other things? Well, he recognized what he could change and what he couldn't change. He couldn't change the fact that he was at uh, Babylonian university for for foreign exiles for slaves he couldn't he couldn't change that but he could with god's help uh change the dietary at least hold on to something from his heritage that probably helped ground him a little bit just the fact that he had a little bit of control over what the surroundings were and he didn't have the control he gave it to god god softened the heart of the master of the eunuchs and allow Daniel to, to eat the diet that he wanted to eat. So, <clears throat> Daniel chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. It's a big chapter, but we're going to get through the whole chapter today, Lord willing. And uh, the, the thing about Daniel that I like is each chapter is a short story. Have you noticed that? You could pull any chapter out of here and read it and, and come away with the, the, the big idea of that chapter. It helps to have the context of the other chapters. But so what we're going to do is we're going to take each chapter as a lesson and look for the big idea. We're not going to we're not going to break it down into and and we could. We could break each chapter down and we could stretch this each chapter out for two or three Sundays. But uh, we, what we want to do is look for the big idea in chapter 2. Anybody hazard a guess of what the big idea is going to be? I'm sorry? That, that's the subject, yes. Yeah, when I say the big idea, I mean, what, what's, our, what's our takeaway going to be? It's, and it's the same takeaway that we get out of every chapter here, really. The supremacy of God. Huh? The supremacy of God. The supremacy of God. Is that what you were going to say, Jim? Oh, I was going to say the power of God. The power of God. The sovereignty of God. The wisdom of God. The omnipresence of God. God is supreme, Yes. 
show the weakness of man. Yeah, that too. Yep. Um, now, so, I'm sorry. How about the control of God? That's that. Yeah, that's what we're talking about—the sovereignty of God here. Yes, God is in control. Okay, that you know that would be just a good bottom line. God is always in control. The most more concise way of putting it. So uh, I'm going to need some uh, volunteers here to read. Here's the short one, one through three. Can we get a? Okay. What's your name? Josh. Josh. Okay, Josh, would you read one through three? The second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. His spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. Then the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, and the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king. And the king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. Okay. First of all, the second year of, of uh, Nebuchadnezzar. Does that... Raise a flag for any of you. How long was Daniel and his friends in school? Three years. years. And in chapter one, they graduated, right? With honors. Okay, we're back to that old thing again where the Babylonian reckoning versus the the, uh, Jewish reckoning of when you become a king. Nebuchadnezzar was a co-regent under his father. At the time that he sacked Jerusalem, he was still under his father. He was not technically the king yet. But as far as the Jews were concerned, he was the king because he was the one who exercised complete authority over them. So the Jewish mind, he was the king. Babylonian reckoning, he only became the king when his father died. So, the, so there's no conflict here when we say the second year of Nebuchadnezzar, yet these young lads have been in school for three years. Uh, one other thing I want to point out, it's going to come up in the slide later, but... Uh, Several weeks ago, I mentioned the the use of the word Chaldeans, that Daniel is criticized for using Chaldeans as a group of soothsayers or astrologers. And I said it's probably to distinguish the Chaldeans from themselves. Well, that's not the case. Really what the case is, is Chaldean in Babylonian or in Aramaic is what what we call a hononym, like the word can. I can do that or a can of peaches, hononym. Same word, different meaning. Chaldean held two different meanings as well, probably because the Chaldean people were the most advanced astrologers in the world at that time. In fact, the rest of, the, of that area got their, uh, their astrology based on the, on the Chaldean astrology, astronomy. So... So when he says Chaldeans, he's speaking to them in in the terms of the, uh, or not magicians, but astrologers. There's also the uh, Chaldean as a race, as a nationality. Nebuchadnezzar was a Chaldean under that definition. Okay, the king's dream. He dreams his dream, and he calls in uh, all his wise men. And later we're going to find out that Daniel and the boys weren't called in. They're surprised when, when, uh, when a guy shows up to kill him. So the king has this dream, and he calls in his magicians and his astrologers and his Chaldeans and, and the whole group, and uh, he has a demand for them. And 411, here's a long one. Someone who likes to read big sections. I don't think there's any real hard words in this one. 
Okay. You want to let Doug do it? He's, she's deferring to you, Doug. I pronounce it Chaldeans. Go ahead. We don't know exactly. Okay. Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The word from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb and your houses shall be laid in ruins. But if you show the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. They answered a second time and said, Let the king tell his servants the dream, and we will show its interpretation. The, the king answered and said, I know with certainty that you are trying to gain time. Because you see that the word from me is firm. If you do not make the dream known to me, there is but one sentence for you. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the times change. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that you can show me its interpretation. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand. For no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult, and no one can show it to the king except the gods, whose dwelling is not with flesh. Okay. So, he could use a little sensitivity training here, couldn't he? <laughs> He's got, you got two choices. I'll tear you limb from limb, or I'll give you a great rewards. Nothing in between here. As uh, Samuel pointed out last week in his school, it wasn't a pass-fail. Well, it was a pass-fail. You pass, you're good, you fail, you're dead. Tough tough guy to deal with. This is, uh, this is not uh, something Dale Carnegie would have approved of. So, uh, interesting point here is uh, verse 4. The Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic, and that's where Daniel switches from Hebrew to Aramaic. And he writes from here on through chapter 7, verse 28, I believe, is the last verse in, in chapter 7. It's all written in Aramaic. And then he switches back to Hebrew. Uh, there's a lot of debate and discussion over to why that is. I think it could be because when he's writing in Aramaic, he's speaking mostly of worldly things. Nebuchadnezzar, uh, it, it's all things that are affecting the, uh, the world in that region at that point in time. I don't know. I, I'm not, it's, it's some sort of device he used. We'll have to figure it out later. But I'm sorry? Oh, okay, okay. So, uh, does anyone have a King James Version? Would you read verse 8 in the King James? The king answered and said, I know of certainty that you would gain the time, because you see the thing is gone from me. The thing is gone from me. And uh, so, to different translations of the Bible have interpreted that different. Uh, some put the command has gone out from me. Well, that word, the Hebrew word command can mean command. It can mean thing. It can mean matter. It can mean subject. 
it's, a, it's got a broad variety of meanings. The King James seems to think that, like us, King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream and he can't remember it. All he knows is that it was very troubling. That's possible. Uh, or maybe he's telling the Chaldeans, I've made up my mind, give me the interpretation in the dream. And it sounds like maybe he doesn't trust his, his advisors here either. Do you, do you kind of get pick up on that? Okay. He says, I know so certain you would gain time. And then he talks about uh, lying, speaking lying and corrupt words before me. Well, this is a pretty good way of doing it. Tell me the dream and the interpretation. Because if he'd have told them the dream, they could have made up all kinds of stuff. Just like the biblical prophets, not, not, the, not the biblical prophets, but the false prophets did. They would, they would tell the king exactly what he wanted to hear. And the true prophet would come in and, and tell him the truth and then sometimes got cut in half for it or put in prison for it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Happy king, happy life. Is that the way it goes? <laughs> yeah. If the king ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. Yeah. There we go. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, so there and and the motivation that they're given here too is 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 uh, kind of kind of different. Not, not the kind we would expect. They were Yeah. You know, you, you nickel the carrot in front of somebody and they all try to figure out something, some way to get it, get it done. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so that's 4 through 11 and 12 through 13. Only two verses. Who wants that one? This made the king as, uh, so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death and men yeah, so here, here we find out, uh, now they're out looking for Daniel and his companions to kill them. What a graduation gift here this is. We just, we just finished school, and now the king's going to kill us, just because. Just and they weren't probably even there. And they probably weren't even there, because, because the next verse we say, uh, Daniel asks, what, what's going on here? Why is the king so upset? And he's advised, why? But let, let's go ahead and read. Uh, uh, somebody read 14 through 16. Start, okay, go ahead. Okay. And Daniel replied to the Yeah, Sterling, go ahead. And Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Ariok, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He declared to Ariok, the king's captain, Why is the decree of the king so urgent? And Ariok made the matter known to Daniel. And Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. Yeah. So, with counsel and wisdom. Now, counsel uh, also mean, can mean prudence, the word there. Prudence. With prudence and wisdom. Where do you suppose he got this? I'm sorry. From God. From God. Yeah, Daniel is Daniel is a is a is a very spiritual man, very godly man, uh, prayerful man. Uh, this stuff just doesn't come out of textbooks. This is uh, this is with his relationship with God, 
and uh, you know, given his situation, it just it just reminds me of, or humbles me to think uh, how how humble Daniel is in his situation, and how bitter I would probably be given the same situation, plucked out of my home, away from my family, made a slave, and uh, and now with prudence and wisdom. Uh, <clears throat> The captain of the guard, uh, the word there is probably executioner. He, he's probably the captain of the, or he is an executioner. That's his job. He's, he's skilled at taking heads off. And uh, he's out to seek and kill all the wise men. Uh, so, uh, Ariok made the decision known to Daniel. So apparently Daniel and his friends weren't consulted in this. They were probably considered, you know, new the new guys, the new kids, they just finished school. Uh, I need the pros in here. So he got the professionals in. And, uh, and But nevertheless, uh, even though they weren't part of it, their head's on the block like everyone else's, like the rest of their, their group. And I don't know what he's going to do, if he's gonna, how he's going to replace them, because he's going to need a whole new cabinet, right? It's like uh, when Reagan fired the air traffic controllers. They're gone. And they weren't eligible for their job back. They didn't lose their head, but they didn't get their jobs back at all. He had to train a whole new bunch of air traffic controllers. Well, the king's going to have to do the same, but it doesn't seem to matter to him. Go ahead. I think, you know, just an interpretation or whatever you want, um, there was probably a whole bunch in training for those positions to be, you know. That might be, yeah. You see what I'm saying? The, yeah. the wise men were here. And the students were down here getting ready to be part of that group. Yeah. And so the king, I mean, we're talking the king had hundreds of thousands of people under him. So probably a group was changed. So if one went away, he'd go, it's your turn. <laughs> <laughs> and, and who'd be standing in line for that job? That's, that's my question. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Daniel's Prayer, 17 through 19. Daniel went to, uh, went to his house and informed his friends, Hananiah and Shale, Azariah, about the matter, so that they might request compassion from the God of heaven concerning his mystery, so that Daniel and his friends would not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a night vision, and Daniel blessed the Lord, the God of heaven. Yeah, uh, it's interesting here that the king gave him time to go. The, the, the guard, the executioner was at his door, ready to take their heads. So again, God apparently intervened and gave them a stay of execution, if it, as it were, and gave them time. And so what's the first thing Daniel does after he's given time? Goes to his his companions and he says we need to pray about this and uh, I don't think it was a, a, a desperation for Daniel he had so much faith that he knew his God was going to answer the prayer and he probably like uh, like remember Mordecai's advice to Esther how do you know that you weren't put here but for a time like this you might have been placed here just for this particular purpose and I think Daniel probably had that insight too he thought okay now I know why I'm here. You still have to remember how young he was. 
went there as a teenager, let's say 18 years old, he's only 21, 22 at this yeah. time. He would not be considered a wise man at that. Do you, you see what I'm saying? That's true. He, he just got trained. He would not be considered a wise man. He was a wise man in training. Yeah, that's true. He's still probably in apprenticeship. Samuel? Daniel was known to the court because nobody lets a second-tier lackey go and speak in front of the king, right? I'm sorry? No one lets a second-tier lackey speak in front of the king. Yeah. And so you have, let's say the translation is correct, the king of God, so the head of the security department, knows Daniel to the point whereby he has enough faith in Daniel that rather than instantly chop his head off upon sight, which would be in his instructions, he relays the message knowing that he may be the only person in the kingdom that can decipher this. And so I would suggest that the reason he wasn't called up in the middle of the night was simply there was a level of jealousy amongst the old guard that said, well, if we grab this young Hebrew boy and bring him along with us, guess what's going to happen? He's going to get the money. Awesome. So they went by themselves and lost their heads for it. Because, they, because the only way that he gets to speak to the king is if the king had already known him. You don't just bring some guy in off the street and put him in front of the king. Yeah. Even if he was going to University of Chaldea. Right. Yeah, we can only speculate as to why he wasn't. Uh, that would be custom. Well, yeah. yeah. We can only we can only speculate as to why he wasn't. Why and his friends weren't called. But what we what we can know is that uh, that when he was called, uh, he he did the right thing and he went, he went to prayer. God set him apart. God set him apart. And because yeah. God set him apart. He was, it was it, um, almost like God's Shekinah was on him. So everybody may not have known him, but they knew of him. So there was a level of respect there where it gave him the grace That's, to do this. Yeah, and if you read this here, uh, so Daniel went in and asked the king to give him time. Uh, not anybody can just walk up to the king. So there, there was some, uh, like, like Samuel said, when he was tested... Doug, you pointed this out last time. They were found ten times wiser than the rest, and ten times not being a mathematical value. It's a figure of speech, meaning they were way above the rest of the group. And I'm sure Nebuchadnezzar remembered that, and uh, so Daniel was granted that. But there again, this is all God's sovereignty, all God's bottom line. God is in control. Yeah, it's always. He went in front of the king, and it didn't say that he went in front of the king with. No, didn't. He, he went. I mean, in front of the king at any moment, the king could say, take off his head right now. And, and, and it doesn't say that Dan, Daniel was in any way was, afraid of going before the king. Was it an Aramaic king that Esther went in front of? I don't remember. I don't think so. I think it was one of the uh, Persians, Persian kings, yeah. But uh, and and they, the kings had softened up a little bit by the time the Persians got there too, and Esther went in with fear for her life because you don't just walk in on the king, you don't go in un- uninvited. <laughs> so somehow Daniel was able to get in and, and, and have an audience with the king. Uh, Daniel praises God. Twenty and twenty-three, twenty through twenty-three. Millie. Name, 
settle and set them up kings. He given wisdom until unto the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding. He revealed the deep and secret thing. He knoweth what is the darkness and the light draw with him. I thank thee with praise, thee, O thou God of my fathers, who have, has been given me wisdom and might, and has made known unto me now what, a, what we desire of thee. For thou hast now made known unto us the king's matter. Yes. Yeah. And there again, that, that word demand, King James translated it matter. It's the same word before where he says, the matter is gone from me. So it can go either way. So whether he forgot the dream or whether he's using this as a test, we don't know. We can, we can guess. But listen to this. Uh, blessed be the name of God. He, re, he removes kings and raises up kings. Now, we don't have a king, but we have a president. And I get really upset when my guy doesn't win. But it's not my guy. God puts the person in charge. And uh, someone much wiser than me once said, we get the leadership we deserve. Boy, that's a slap in the face, isn't it, sometimes? But anyway, moving on. Let's not get political here. Uh, also, it, for you have made known to us the king's matter. Mishael and... close those four men were. Yeah. In, in complete harmony... And, and, you know, they thought alike. They were all, you know, very godly. And so it's almost like Daniel saying, saying, it's not me. You know, God isn't just giving it to me. Yeah. He's giving it to us. Again, the humility of Daniel here. Yes. Yeah. Uh, he gives wisdom to who? The wise. Wow. The wise need wisdom? He gives knowledge to those who have understanding. So we can choose to be ignorant or we can seek God and as he gives us wisdom and we accept his wisdom it it will increase and increase and increase. Uh, He reveals the deep and secret things. He knows what's in the darkness, the light. Uh, I'm not going to, like I said, we could break these down into and and we could spend the the whole day on that but we need to get to the bottom line here and by the bottom line I mean Jesus, because he's going to show up. Uh, I've heard pastors say this. There's a line that runs through the scripture, and it's Jesus. He starts in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Jesus is there in the beginning, just like John says, in the beginning God, or in the beginning God in Genesis, in the beginning was the Word, and we know that that Word was Jesus. So, so we're, going to, we're going to meet him again right then in this chapter. Uh, then we want to go to 24. Oh, there's, yeah, that. That was the uh, the Hananim uh, Chaldeans. Uh, Twenty-four. Quick, quick. 
Okay, Daniel's going to give God the glory. 24 through 30, verse 24, or chapter. If someone would. Melody, you've been holding the, you've been trying to get in here. Okay, go ahead. Therefore Daniel went in unto Ariok, whom the king had ordained to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus unto him, Destroy not the wise men of Babylon, bring me in before the king, and I will show unto the king the interpretation. Then Ariok brought in Daniel before the king in haste, and said unto him, I have found a man of the captives of Judah, that will make known unto the king the interpretation. The king answered and said to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Art thou able to make known unto me the dream which I have seen and the interpretation thereof? Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, The secret which the king hath demanded, cannot the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, the soothsayers, show unto the king? But there is a God in heaven that revealeth secrets and maketh known to the king Nebuchadnezzar what shall be in the latter days. Thy dream and the visions of thy head upon thy bed are these. As for thee, O king, thy thoughts came into thy mind upon thy bed. What should come to pass hereafter? And he that revealeth secrets maketh known to thee what shall come to pass. But as for me, this secret is not revealed to me for any wisdom that I have more than any living. But for their sakes, that shall make known the interpretation to the king, and that thou mightest know the thoughts of thy heart. Okay. Uh, notice how Daniel presents this to the king. He makes it very, very clear that it's not him. I don't, I don't have anything here to, to bring to the table. This was revealed not because of my wisdom, but really because God wants you to know the interpretation. So this dream that Nebuchadnezzar had isn't just a random dream. There's, there's real significance here. Uh, We've started out Daniel chapter 1 as narrative, and we've jumped right into prophecy now. Chapter 2 begins a section on prophecy. And even the chapters that seem to be just plain narrative have a prophetic message in them. But this one definitely has a prophetic message, and it's something God wants Nebuchadnezzar to know. So he reveals the dream to Daniel, and he wants, he, he didn't give it to the wise men. It's very important that the king knows that this interpretation is from the God of heaven. Uh, the God that Nebuchadnezzar, remember he believes that he defeated this God when he took Jerusalem. That's why he stole or sacked the, the, the temple and took articles from the temple, worship articles. Not just, not just uh, things of decorative value, but he took articles of worship that the Jews used to worship their God, and he took them and put them in front of his God, saying, you know, my God is the more, more important, more superior God. Daniel's letting him know that he doesn't come right out and say it, but he says, your God couldn't do this. I got the interpretation 
from my God. Daniel could have rubbed it in a little bit harder than that, but he didn't. He just very subtly said, this is from the God of heaven. Uh, Daniel relays the dream, 31 through 35. Got a volunteer? I'm sorry, what's your name? Alyssa. Alyssa. Thank you, Alyssa. Uh, we're not going to comment here. We're just going to move on to the next section and comment on it all together. 36 through 45. And I'm sorry, your name is? Malachi. Malachi. I'll try to remember your names. I'm really bad at that. Malachi, go ahead. This was a dream. Now we will tell its interpretation for the king. You, O king, are the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven... Uh, the God of heaven has given the kingdom power, strength, and the glory. And uh, wherever the sons of men dwell, or the beasts of the field, or the birds of the sky, he has given them into your hand and has caused you to rule over them. You are the head of gold. After you, there will arise another kingdom inferior to you, and another third kingdom of bronze, which will rule over the earth. And there will be a fourth kingdom, as strong as iron, and as much as iron crushes and shatters all things. So, um, like iron that breaks in pieces, it will crush and break all these in pieces. And that you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron. It will be divided, it will be a divided kingdom, but it will have in it the toughness of iron, and as much you saw the iron mixed with common clay. And the toes of the feet were partly of iron and partly of pottery, so some of the kingdom will be strong and part of it will be brittle. And in that you saw the iron mixed with common clay, they will, com- uh, they will combine with one another in the seed of men, but they will not adhere to one another, even as iron is not com- combined with pottery. Um, in the days of those kings, God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, that kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush and it will put an end to all those kingdoms, but it itself will endure forever. And as much you saw a stone that was cut out of the mountain without hands, and it crushed the iron, the bronze, and the clay, and the silver, and the gold, the great God has made known to the king what will take place in the future. So the dream is true and its interpretation is Pretty confident, isn't he? The dream is true. The interpretation is trustworthy. Daniel knows that this is this is the fact, and uh, he reveals the interpretation to the king. And notice, uh, 
Okay, sorry. Okay, verse 37. You, O king, are a king of kings. Now, didn't Nebuchadnezzar adopt that title for himself? Do you think that's probably where he got it? Do you think Nebuchadnezzar, because Nebuchadnezzar did declare himself to be the king of kings, and he gets humbled in chapter 4. And we don't know if he really got humbled there either, but he seems to get humbled in this chapter as well, but we, we know that he goes on to, uh, to do some pretty weird stuff, put it that way. Okay, you, O king, are the king of kings, for the God of heaven has given you a kingdom, power, strength, and glory. For the God of heaven has given you this kingdom. He, very direct. He's not holding back. He's, he's preaching the word here. He's, he's, uh, he's not soft-selling it. Uh, now this one is, wherever the children of men dwell, wherever the children of men dwell, or the beasts of the field and the birds of heaven, he has given them into your hand and he has made you ruler over them all. You are this head of gold. What do you think Nebuchadnezzar takes away from this entire interpretation? Yeah, I think so. In the end, he falls down and he, well, we'll get there, but he falls down and he uh, praises Daniel, he praises the God of heaven. In the next chapter, he builds an altar or a, a figure to himself, an idol to himself, the, the head of gold. But, uh, but then Daniel goes on to describe these other kingdoms that come out. He only names one kingdom here, right? Which is the Babylonian kingdom. We, we know from history who the other kingdoms are. But uh, let's continue, and uh, then we'll, we'll go back and we'll look at this in, in sections. Uh, God is glorified through Daniel 46 through 47. Pastor. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and paid homage to Daniel and commanded that an offering and incense be offered up to him. The king answered and said to Daniel, Truly your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. Hmm. Sounds like Nebuchadnezzar gets the point. And then again, we read the next chapter, and we think, well, just like 9-11, it didn't last long. You know, we got all patriotic, and we're waving flags for about a week, and then a week later, flags came down, back to work. Go ahead, Pastor. I, I think the difference between Chapter 2 and Chapter 4 is actually quite stark because in chapter two you have Daniel. It's almost like a third-person perspective, mm -hmm. um, and you have the wise men, Daniel and his three friends, who are addressing this. And Nebuchadnezzar comes to an understanding, a little bit of an understanding, but he addresses them as your God. Yeah, that's, get, that's true. When we get to chapter four, though, Nebuchadnezzar, it's a first person. He writes. From his perspective, it's almost like he has Daniel inscribing this on his behalf, yeah. as like an amanuensis would be in the New Testament. But here, or in chapter 4, he actually states, and he doesn't call him Daniel's God anymore, now it's my God. Yeah. You know, I, I think he truly does come to a point where, uh, where he recognizes the one true God and worships him accordingly. I mean, he even says... I looked to heaven, my reason returned yeah. unto me. Yeah, that's true. He, do, he does. Yeah, and it does appear that he wrote the, yeah. the majority of that chapter, uh, which is interesting. 
the only chapter actually that appears in that manner. Yeah. Yeah. Because the other ones are the other ones are not written in that yeah. format. Daniel Daniel the book of Daniel is a very interesting and different from all other books in the Bible. Uh and, and you're right. I didn't. I didn't really even pick, notice that your God is the God of heavens. And the other part of this is, is he fell on his face before Daniel. And uh, someone read it. He he honored Daniel, so he he still hasn't gotten the complete picture here. Uh, but let's let's move on to. Uh, oops, I'm going the wrong way. God blesses. Daniel, 48 and four, or verse 48 and 49. So, so Daniel, uh, the king promoted Daniel. He kept his word, and apparently he ceased his destruction of the uh, the soothsayers and the uh, the magicians and the Chaldeans. And uh, he made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon. So, from uh, from a slave to ruler, the the. Uh, the the comparisons to him and Joseph here are really uh, striking. Uh, and Daniel petitions that his friends, he doesn't forget his friends here either. He didn't forget God and he didn't forget his friends. So he petitions and had his, has his friends. Apparently Daniel has this audience with the king by himself. Uh, uh, the, the, the three friends are not there, but uh, Daniel doesn't forget them. He mentions them and, and how he did that we don't know. But uh, let's take a let's take a look here. This this statue, uh, it's a striking statue, has a head made of pure gold. Daniel identifies that as Babylon. Uh, he does not identify the chest of silvers. He just says another kingdom will come after you, a kingdom inferior to yours. Uh, the belly and thighs of bronze. Another will come after that, and then another one after that. The legs of iron. And then he ends it with this feet of iron and baked clay or, or ceramic clay, many different words used here. Some, there's even one version that says wet clay. I, I don't know where they came up with that. But, uh, but nevertheless, it's iron and clay, and we know that iron and clay does not mix. So uh, we know from, from this chapter right here that that head of gold is Babylon. Look how long Babylon lasted. It was the, the most powerful kingdom on earth, and it lasted some, what, 79 years? Is that what it comes to? Uh, I think 79 years, if you do the math. Not a very long-lasting kingdom. It, uh, flash in the pan, as we say. Uh, now, the next one we know from history was the Medial persian Empire, 539 to 330. This one lasted almost 100 years. It was an inferior kingdom. Uh, 200 years, sorry. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> lasted almost 200 years. Lasted a little longer. It wasn't as powerful because it was split. Uh, the Medo-Persian. 
they, I don't know how the Medes and the Persians got together exactly, but they, they, they formed an alliance. And uh, when they took Babylon, uh, they, they were co, co-conspirators in that event and, and co-powers. Uh, Persia being the more dominant of the two, which we'll learn later. The belly and thighs of bronze, Greece. Now this one lasted quite a, quite a while, nearly 300 years, about 200, 270 years, 260 years. Uh, and then the legs of iron, Rome, 63 BC to 476. And now that's where Rome, and I, I used 476 because that was where Rome ceased to be a world power. They were still a kingdom, but they were no longer a dominant world power anymore. They just sort of, Rome never really fell. It just sort of melted away slowly. Pardon? It imploded. It imploded, yeah. Yeah, From within, it wasn't, they weren't taken over by a foreign. Right. Uh, Well, the final blow was when they were very weak and very small, Turkey, uh, Turkey sort of took over them, but like you said, it wasn't a, it wasn't a military conquest. It was just, a, you know, if you can't beat them, join them. So Rome just gave up, and uh, got in the thing. Uh, but again, and that one lasted quite a long, a little over 400 years before it totally imploded. Uh, what was unique about Rome of these others? Well, Greece, Greece split into four parts right after Alexander died. So, so we went from a, 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 a singular power, King Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonians, one king, to two, to four, Rome. They had a, they had a Caesar, right? But it was more, I hate to say this, but it was based like a, more like our government. Uh, it was... A, it was a, Senate. Uh, pardon? Senate. Senate, Senate, yeah, yeah. It was a republic for quite a while. I'm sorry? It was a republic for a while. I'm sorry. I'm... A republic. A republic. Yeah, okay, yeah, that, that's, that's the word, right. It was a republic. Until the yeah. took yeah, Caesar, Caesar was very powerful, but he was not a solitary like, like Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar tells the whole group of people, I don't know how many magicians and people he had, he says, we're going to chop your head off. And nobody said, you can't do that, king, because why? He'd have chopped their head off, too. He said, what do you mean I can't do that? Here goes your head. So he had solitary power, and the power just kept getting more spread out and more spread out and more spread out. And then finally we come to these uh, feet of iron and clay. No one world power. And since Rome, there has really been no one world power. And I guess something out of, well, we're not, oh dear, almost out of time. We're going to have to come back next week to get to the real meat of this thing. So let's just resolve that we're going to do that. Sorry. When, when we say King Nebuchadnezzar was a world power, and uh, do you remember two weeks ago, I pointed out all the things that were going on in the world at, in 605? The Mayan civilization. Do you think the Mayans were under King Nebuchadnezzar? No. Uh, we're, we're talking about how, how do we reconcile this? The world power. Yeah, it's. He had enough power to do anything he wanted in the world if he wanted to. It, it would have been in the known In the known world. The known world. Yeah. yeah. And, and when we use that term, the known world, 
I mean, we're not uh, putting down the Mayans. Well, you don't count because you weren't knowing. Uh, who was it? Uh, who discovered? Huh? Or the Chinese. Or the Chinese. Or, Frank, who is it they say discovered the Philippines? Magellan. Magellan. What do you mean? Philippines was always there. There was a civilization there. He didn't discover anything, you know? So it's, it's, I guess it's kind of Eurocentric, or in this, this case, uh, Babylonian-centric. But why is God allowing that? Because it's his people, right? He's looking at the world that's affecting his people. The Mayans, whatever they're doing over here, has, has little or no effect on Israel. God is looking at whatever affects Israel, and, that, and that's the known world at that time, uh, the known world to, to Nebuchadnezzar or the Chinese or the Philippines, they didn't have any effect on, the, on, the, on the God's chosen people. Also, what he could get to. You know, he didn't have, there's no way he could have got to, say, the Philippines, you know? Right. I mean, the, the, the ability to mobilize an army over the ocean 3,000 years ago was very difficult. Yes, they were sailing the, the seas in Micronesia and Polynesia and all of that place for at least that far back. But it really wasn't possible to mobilize an army, sail it around the world, and then invade somebody. Right. If you couldn't get there on your own two feet, you weren't getting there. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So when when we talk about the world according to Nebuchadnezzar, we're talking about what's within his within his reach. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Uh, we'll do this, and then we're going to stop and, and finish it up next week. The deterioration of the image. Uh, we notice that the quality of each metal diminishes. We notice that even the, uh, the specific gravity of each, each uh, material here gets lower. And then uh, the position each metal holds in the image and uh, the division of sovereignty, as we mentioned already, spreads out, spreads out, spreads out. And this is the Babylonian Empire in the time of Nebuchadnezzar. Persian Empire, you see how it grew, grew under the Greeks, although it split into four parts, and then when Rome dominated it, it spread even further. So you see there's a lot more to the world than what was controlled there, especially Nebuchadnezzar, it was rather small comparatively, but his power was the, uh, the, the best, the, the most. And then finally the toes represent the divided and the weakest of the world powers and I believe that ever since that there have been people who have tried to become a world power there have been men you know ambitious leaders and rulers that have tried to become a strong world power uh, Napoleon tried to conquer the world uh, you name it I mean uh, World War was World War One? they said, was the war to end all wars? And then we had World War Two. Well, this one's going to end all wars. Well, good luck with that, right? So then we have the rock. That's what I was hoping to get to, but we can't do the rock justice today. That's, that's going to have to be a Sunday by itself. And who is the stone? The rock. That, of course, is Jesus Christ. And uh, sorry we couldn't, couldn't, couldn't get there. I rambled on too much. So let's, let's pray. Thank you, dear Lord, for, uh, for this time that we've had together. Uh, Lord, thank you that you are sovereign, that you are in control.
that uh, even though uh, sometimes we feel like we want to be in control, we just need to release that to you. And uh, thank you that, uh, that you've brought us here together today to study your word. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.